I grew up in a typical Cuban home, which means two things. One, pork is one of the four food groups. And the other is that all of our furniture was completely covered in plastic. Now, you got to understand, at my, at my house growing up, I mean, it was serious. In fact, our lampshade had plastic on it. I don't know if that was actually a fire hazard or not, but nonetheless, the lampshade had plastic around it. And, uh, you know, my mom and stepdad were very particular about how the furniture got used. So you could, you could go up to it and sit down. But if you started wiggling too much, moving around too much, you immediately got kicked out. Sit on the floor, buddy, until you can learn to sit responsibly. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Boston, and so we didn't have air conditioning in our house, which here is totally unfathomable. There is very normal. And uh, nonetheless, uh, you can imagine, I remember so many summers being in shorts, it being like, you know, 90-something degrees, sitting on the couch, and then having to get up. And it's like... It's like peeling a fruit roll up, you know, when you're when you're doing that. And uh, so but they were very, very particular about the furniture. But I remember the first time that uh, my mom went out. My stepdad was was at work and I had gotten home from school. And my mom said, listen, I got to go to the store for a minute. And I'm like, all right, let me get my shoes. And she said, you know what? Just go ahead and stay because uh, I'll, I'll be back in a little bit. I got to pick up a few things. And this was the first time that I was ever able to stay home alone. So you can only imagine the excitement of having the entire house to myself. And so she says, I'll be back in, in, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes. So just, you know, do whatever it is that you were doing, but just, you know, relax. Well, nonetheless, she closes the door. I watch her pull out in her car and leave. And immediately I run upstairs to my bedroom. I grab my Van Halen 1984 album because it was 1984. And uh, I run back downstairs, put it on the turntable because, yes, I did say album. And... uh I get I get the needle lined up. Panama is cranking because I wasn't allowed to really touch the stereo either. So I crank that thing. And then I did the unthinkable. I jumped up on the couch, shoes and everything, and just started going, you know, doing my best Eddie Van Halen impression. I was so excited about what was going on, jumping up and down on the couch. The, the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. But hey, I'm home by myself. Who cares? I'm so excited. And then I hear slam. My mom had forgotten something. Sure enough, I calmly get down from the couch, turn off the radio and ask how her day has been. And uh, she, you know, it's like right around that moment that things started getting ugly, you know. And she introduced me to another song off of that Van Halen 1984 album, a song called House of Pain. Um, And here was my problem. My problem was I didn't know she was coming back so soon. Because had I known that she was coming back and I'd known the timing, listen, I wouldn't have been messing around. But because I didn't know, because I wasn't expecting her, that's when things got ugly. You see, I believe the same thing is true for us. One of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is that Jesus is coming back. You see, he let us know of this reality over and over and over in the Gospels. But one of the first times that he talked about it was in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And if you have your notes handy, you can check out that verse with me. And here's how he puts it. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be 
with me where I am. You see, the reality of Jesus' second coming was so real to the early disciples that even after his resurrection, when he ascended into heaven, listen, they waited. And I don't just mean like they were waiting for his return. I mean, when he ascended, they just watched and sat there thinking like he just went to get something. And then he's coming right back. In fact, listen to what it says in the book of Acts. After he tells them that they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can live the kind of life that God wants them to live. Here's what it says. It says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were while they were watching and they could and they could see him no longer. And as they strained to see him rising to heaven, two uh, white robed men uh, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I mean, isn't it amazing? I, I don't know. I, I personally think this has got to be one of the funnier scenes in the Bible where they're just watching. Jesus has, go, has told them, you know, given them their final marching orders. And then they just they, he starts, you know, going to heaven and then they're just watching. Just just watching. How, how long do you think it's going to be? You know, one's like, you know, maybe Peter's like, hey, how long do you think? And John, the apostle's like, you know, give him a few minutes. He's coming back. He's got to gather his goods, you know. Let him get a few things. Maybe he's packing a bag or something. So they wait. I mean, do you, do you think it'll be like before lunch? Thomas in the back? I doubt it. <laughs> so they're kind of waiting around, right? And then so much that they're waiting there so long that what happens? Two angels have to show up and like, guys, what are you doing? We're, we're, Jesus said he's coming right back. If you'll excuse us. Well, hold on. He said he's coming right back, but what, what exactly is happening here? No, he's coming right back. Listen, you saw Jesus go up. He's going to come back in the same way. Kind of like saying... Please leave. Please get about to do something that he told you to do. Now, the thing that is amazing to me is that this moment marked the lives of these disciples so much that they lived the rest of their lives with this intentionality of the reality of Jesus soon return. You see, I believe that one of the healthiest ideas for a Christian to have in their mind throughout the course of their lives is the idea that Jesus could come back today. That Jesus could come back at any moment. In fact, I believe that's one of the greatest challenges of the New Testament. And we've been in this series for the last several weeks, a series that's ending next Sunday, that we've called New Testament Challenge. And what we've been doing is, while in our small groups we've been reading through the New Testament, we've been highlighting some key themes, key concepts, key ideas, key challenges that God lays out for us in the New Testament. And the purpose of these challenges is, listen, to make us more like Jesus. And this one in particular forces us to reprioritize our lives on the basis of this reality of Jesus' return. Because, friends, a person who isn't a Christian lives like they've got all the time in the world. And all of us, having not been Christians at some point in time, we've, we live like we had all the time in the world. But then you become a Christian and you come to know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And you know what happens? Things begin to change. A shift begins to happen where you started to think you had all the time in the world. Now you start thinking a little bit differently. You start thinking that maybe time is short. And so if I'm going to make the most of my life, if I'm going to make the most of the time that God has given me, what I have to do, if I'm going to make a difference, is I've got to live in such a way to think that maybe I don't have all the time in the world, but instead to think that maybe Jesus 
could, is coming back today. So what I want to share with you as we take a hop, skip and a jump through the scriptures is I want to walk through three ways, three ways that the second coming can impact our lives, three ways that the second coming can cause us to reorient our lives in a way that causes us to make a greater impact in the world and live the way that God wants us to. So if you're taking note, here's the first one as we begin. The first is this, that Jesus's return challenges me to live a godly life. It challenges me to live a godly life. I used to work for uh, this hoagie shop when I was in high school. Now, how many of you say hoagie? I have no idea what a hoagie is. All right. Everybody knows what a hoagie is. A hoagie is basically like a sub, but who wants to own a sub shop? You want to own a hoagie shop because that's a lot better. It's a nor- it's like a northeast kind of term. Well, anyway, I used to I used to work in this this hoagie shop that made like cheesesteaks and stuff when I was in high school, and um, there was one day when the delivery orders were coming in and we were not working. We were actually sitting playing poker, um, and uh, so we're it was payday and we're kind of like dealing the cards and we're like oh the phone's ringing we're gonna get to those and there's a bunch of orders that are piled up we're gonna make those subs but we're going to play a few hands first. And so we're, we're playing there, and then all of a sudden, slam. It was Paul who was the boss, the owner. Now, he was supposed to be in Delaware and not to be coming back for a week, and he had put us in charge, namely me. Why you put a high school student in charge, I have no idea. But nonetheless, it was that was the case. It was the summer after I graduated high school, actually. And so uh, now to say that he was mad... I think it's a little bit of an understatement. I learned about another Van Halen song that day, a song called Eruption, uh, because this guy erupted, started throwing pots and pans, started going absolutely berserk. I've never seen lettuce go that far, actually. Uh, but he, stuff was just going everywhere, going crazy, used words I can't repeat in church. And, uh, you know, he just told us that if we didn't get our act together, we were all going to get fired. And so we got serious because, you know, where else are you going to find a job making 450 an hour. And uh, so, you know, we started getting real serious. And, uh, and then he said, he'd say this uh, every time he left. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm watching you. And I will be back when you least expect it. Well, sure enough, things kind of got back to normal. We got back to work a few months later. I'd say maybe it was about two or three months later. Um, I was out. I was off that evening. But I got kind of hungry, and I was driving by the hoagie shop. And I said, you know what I'd love are some mozzarella sticks. I mean, who doesn't love mozzarella sticks? I mean, if you don't like mozzarella sticks, you have a problem. So anyway, I, I happen to love them. I've always have some. I'm driving by, and I said, you know, this place makes good mozzarella sticks. So I stop in. I said hi to my friend Drew, who was kind of running things that evening. And I got behind the counter, went underneath where the fryer is, threw in an order of mozzarella sticks for myself, cooked them up nice and golden brown, just like God intended, and uh, got them ready, put them on a tray, went over to the uh, dining area, poured myself a Coke, and I had some mozzarella sticks, a Coke, some great conversation with my coworkers, and then just as I was about ready to leave, who shows up? Paul shows up, and he says, what in the world is going on here? And so we, I'm, I'm totally speechless. I don't even know what to say. And he says, he he turns to my, my friend Drew, who's working, and he says, at what point were you going to charge Bobby? Because they called me Bobby there. And he says, at what point were you going to charge Bobby for those mozzarella sticks and that Coke? Now I had already thrown the stuff out. So I'm like, how did he know? Do I have mozzarella breath? 
I mean, is the, I mean, h- h- how did this guy know? And and honestly, and and so we, he, we're kind of like he and Han. Well, I don't know, and you know this and that. And he, and and then we finally ask him, how did you know? And he says, I was across the street watching you guys through my binoculars. <laughs> true story. True story. And <laughs> true story. Uh, and my wife can verify how insane these people were. Um, and, and the thing that's amazing to me is uh, that he made Drew pay for it, which I felt pretty good about. Um, but I'm telling you, I mean, think about this. How different would I have acted if I knew that he was across the street making sure that I wasn't stealing $3 mozzarella sticks and a 50-cent Coke? Uh, I mean, I think that I would have, you know, been a paying customer, you know, say, you know, just... Waving to people randomly, you know, listen, it would have caused me to live differently. You see, the same thing is true when it comes to Jesus coming back. It's it's a prompting that, that causes us to desire to live a godly life, knowing that he could come back at any time. Because I always have this idea in my mind whenever I'm doing something like, is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Like sometimes I'm just kind of flipping through the channels and it's like Jesus is coming back. And it's like, I just, I just have this thing, like, so what were you doing? You know, and you have this conversation, like, you know, you get to heaven or something. What were you doing when he came back? Oh, I don't know. What were you doing? Oh, man, I was, you know, I was feeding the poor, helping the homeless. Oh, that's great. What, what about you? What were you doing? Oh, I was preaching the gospel to set many people. What were you doing? Um, this is a show I really like. And uh, that's, that's what I, you know. And, and, but listen to what. What, what Jesus would say in, in Matthew chapter 24. And, um, and I want to tell you this. We're just really scratching the surface in March of next year. So you're going to have to hold your breath until March. But uh, we're going to spend four weeks talking about this, really delving into this much deeper than we are this morning. But we're going to give you a little bit of an overview. But in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about his return. And as he talks about his return, he talks about the importance of what uh, having this idea of his return has on our lives and what it does. And this is the illustration that he gives in chapter 24 and verse 45. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose... That servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat uh, and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will will come on a day that he does not expect him and at an hour that he's not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign his place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, it's an amazing idea that what Jesus is saying, that if we have this, this idea in our minds, that Jesus is coming back, that it'll cause us to live differently. In fact, uh, the memory verse that you have this week, it's on the very back of your outline in 1 John chapter 3. This is what it says. Dear friends, we're already God's children, but, it has not yet shown, but he has not yet shown to us what we'll be like when Christ returns. But we do know that we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And then this is the key. And who and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. You see, it really comes down to this idea when we think about why we disobey God at times. I mean, let me give you the the truth of the matter, why we disobey God. There's really only a couple of reasons. One is we really don't believe what God is saying. 
when, when it comes to something being good or bad or ugly or whatever the case. And the second thing is we really don't think we're going to get caught. It's really one of those two things. We either don't believe them or, or, or we don't think that we're going to get caught. What I'm going to say to you is it's important. And it's not easy to catch. So uh, I'm going to try to say it a couple of times, try to see it a couple of different ways. But if you can catch this, it'll really give you an understanding as to why God says that we should do some things and should not do some things. And here's, here's what it is. God doesn't say something is bad because it's sin. He says it's sin because it's bad. Now, let me, let me say it again, just because I want you to catch this. God doesn't say something is bad because it's sin. He says it's sin because it's bad. God says to stay away from something, not just because he's just kind of created these rules arbitrarily, but because he knows that this is going to potentially hurt us. He says, listen, that's sin and I want you to stay away from it. So it's not bad because it's sin. It's sin because it has the potential to really hurt us. And see... And when we decide to do it anyway, it's always because of one of those two reasons. We either don't think we're going to get caught or we just don't really believe what it is that God is saying. But here's what the Bible says about not getting caught, about um, not believing him. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews in your outline. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him for the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that at some point in time we're going to stand before God and give account? I mean, there's going to be this moment where we're going to have to explain some things about what it is that we've done in our lives. I mean, I think it's really a sobering idea, a sobering concept to think about that at some point in time we're going to stand before God and God's going to say, uh, hey, listen, remember you stayed at that hotel? Yeah. You remember when you were leaving? Remember how when you packed your bag, you specifically left some extra room? Uh-huh. And then at, while you were leaving, you put all the towels in there? And then you took them home? And, and now what was good? And then you can just, can you imagine just like giving an account for that to God? Well, God, I, I, that may look like stealing, but um, it was, God, question. Uh, God, are you familiar with the story of Robin Hood? Uh... You can imagine God's response like, I am. Robin Hood. So let me see. So you're like Robin Hood? Well, you know, no, not exactly like Robin Hood. You know, I, mean, I don't have like the little tights or anything, but I'm kind of like so. And you, got, you can imagine God's response. So you steal terry cloth from the rich and give to the poor being yourself. Is that, is that kind of how it works? Listen, uh, th- these are just things that I don't want to have to answer for. And so I just say, you know, I'm just going to stay away from that because what I don't want to do is to have to have to answer for that at some point, because at some point in time, we're, what the Bible says is everything is uncovered and lay b- bare before uh, the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so as we begin to take steps, say, am I going to disobey God here? Listen, is that what we want to do? Is that what we want to have to explain ourselves for and give account for uh, when the day of his return comes? Here's the second reason. The second thing that the second coming causes us to reorient our lives. It impacts our lives in in another way. Um, Number two is this. This is your feeling. Jesus' return challenges me to get serious about my faith. Challenges me to get serious about my faith. You see, if I were to ask most of us here and I were to say, tell me what's most important. We, you know, within the first two or three things that we gave, our faith would be close to the top of the list. But here's what actually happens in your life and in mine at times. 
all this other stuff begins to get in the way. And it, it kind of begins to sidetrack us from, you know, doing the things that are most important. And listen, um, the thing that's, that's the challenge for us, and, we, and we've got to actually really think this through and ask the question, why does that happen to us? Why is it that other things begin to take priority in our lives over our faith, which if we were to begin to ask what's most important, our faith would probably be close to the top. And, and the reason is that somehow we let other things cut in line. We let other things get ahead and we don't even realize it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul um, starts talking about this. And here's what he says. He says, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There's no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, whatever. Even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on. Deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. The world as you see it is on its way out. And I want you to live as free of complications as possible. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. You see, here's what the thing that happens in our lives, and we can see it happen in so many areas. We talked about the things that are our priorities, the things that we want to focus on rather than things we don't want to focus on. But you know what ends up happening a lot of times? If we don't, if we aren't intentional about the things that matter most, the things that get that get cut in line, that get priority are just trivia. And we allow just simple trivia and stuff that doesn't really matter to consume us. You see, if we talked about say, how, how important is your family, your wife and your children, if you have them, and say, we say, oh, man, that's that's everything to me. That, that's one of the most important things in my life. I mean, well, listen to what a recent study. Here's what it says. The average family spends seven minutes a day talking as a family, seven minutes. Yet the average family spends 37 hours a week watching TV. And you know what the weird part is? You know what we're watching? Other families. That is the oddest thing to me. Like. What's the most important thing? Oh, man, I love my family. My family's so important. I don't know what I'd do without my family. All right, shh, the other family's still on. Wow, look at that. Isn't that funny how they all talk to each other? Isn't that funny what he said? I bet the same jokes would come out if we just talked to each other. And, and that's the funny thing that happens. Well, how did that happen? Here's how it happened. We just started letting all kinds of trivia and all kinds of other stuff to, 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 to get in our way. The same thing happens with our faith. We talk about that faith is important, but you know, you know what happens? Uh, we, we let silly things, we let trivia get in the way of our faith. I, I mean, you know, long before I was a pastor, uh, I was just a guy that Jesus had saved. And uh, I didn't really know a ton about God. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I went to parochial school as a kid. And so I knew some stuff about God, but I didn't really know God. And so... When Jesus Christ came into my life and forgave me, listen, I wanted to do whatever it took. I wanted to get to know him as best I could. And so that meant this. That meant that I was in church whenever they opened the door. I mean, any, I mean they just could have opened it just to take the trash out and I was going to be there uh, because I wanted to grow in my faith. Now, here's what would happen. People say, hey, we want to invite you to this birthday party. Oh, uh, thanks. I'd love to go. What time is it? Oh, we're going to do it on Sunday morning. I'm sorry, I can't go. I can be there around one. Ah, but, you know, like all the good food is going to be taken by then. Well, I'll eat the scraps because I'd rather eat the scraps physically than end up eating the scraps spiritually. 
You see, that's the thing that happens. And sometimes we can say, and we can just keep it from, from just coming here. Now, here, here's, um, I'm going to make a generality here, so just, you know, be warned. But here's what, I, here's what I can pretty much tell you. A person's commitment to coming to church on Sunday, uh, you tell me how often a person comes and I can tell you how committed they are to God. Oh, Bob, that's a generality. You don't know what's happening inside of a person's heart. No. Here's what I know. That the, that, but I, I do know this. The commitment that a person has comes out in their actions. And it, it's just the way it is. It's just the, it's just the way life works. You know, I can tell you that uh, anything is important to me, but here's, what, here's how you'll find out if something is important to me. How does it play out in my actions? How does it play out uh, in my daily life? And so here's what I did in preparation for this message. Because I knew I was going to be touching on this. I, ha- I, uh, I had my assistant come into my office and I said, here's what I want. I want you to take all the connection cards for the last four weeks. And I want you to tell me uh, how often people are coming to church. And she said, all right, that's a lot of cards. And I said, then get started because it's going to take you a while. And uh, so, here's, so here's, here's what happens. It took her a while and she had some people help her out. And, and here's what we found. 50% of our church is attending once a month. Another 25% are attending every other week. And then 25% of our church are attending uh, three to four times a month. I mean, think about that. If you're, if you're attending once a month, that means you're coming to church 12 times a year. Now, now think about this. This is really important. What if I told you, you know, I'm going to start going to the gym. Hey, that's a good idea. You look like you could use it. Uh, but then I said, but you know, I don't want to go too crazy. I'm thinking about going once a month. How long? Uh, you know, 60, 65 minutes. But I don't want to go over because if they start going over, I'm leaving. Uh, all right. I'm going to go once a month unless the dolphins are on at one o'clock and then that's going to mess me up. But pretty, I'm pretty sure that, that I'm going to go once a month. Like, I, I don't know. You would probably tell me if you knew anything about uh, working out and getting healthy. Like, listen, if you really want that to make a difference in your life, you're going to have to do it more than once a month. I think that we would understand that anything. Listen, I'm thinking about going back to school, learning some stuff. Really? Yeah, but I only want to go once a month. I don't want to get crazy. I just want to go. I'm working it out with the teacher. I just want to show up like four times a semester. And I'm thinking that I can pretty much learn everything I need to based on that. You would say, you're insane. You're never going to graduate. It took you five years to graduate high school. It's going to take you ten years to get an associate's degree. You know? Um, and... and it, <laughs> Thankfully, I already have one. But the, the, the important thing is this, is that you, you would recognize that that just doesn't work. And the same thing happens. And, and listen, I'm not trying to get on your case, make you feel bad, but I am trying to do this. I am trying to challenge you if you're saying, uh, well, you know, yeah, maybe I am coming once a month. Then listen, step that up. You're going to see radical changes in your life if you step that up and say, you know what? I've been coming once a month, 12 times a year. I'm going to start trying to come three to four times a month. Hey, people go on vacation. People get sick. People go out of town. People have business to take care of. But listen, if you're going to the same place three out of four weeks out of the month, here's my advice to you. Move there. I mean, that will help you tremendously. Uh, But that's really the key. Because here's what the Bible says, and this is is what's so important. In uh, Hebrews 10, you've probably heard me say this many times, you talk about this verse. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The whole premise of that to say, listen, do not neglect the, our, our gathering together, but encourage one another. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And if the time is short and Jesus is coming back, we've got to get serious about our faith. 
So do this. So, so make it a priority. Make sure that you're going to be here. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm probably going to say this a few times because half of us are only coming once a month. So I've got to say it four times so everybody hears it once. You see how that happens? I've had this thought in my mind. I was telling Pastor John a few weeks ago. I'm thinking about teaching the same message for an entire month. And only a couple hundred people are going to notice. And, uh, you know, just give them a book or something. You know, anyway. Um, But that's the thing that's important. Listen, his return should get us serious about our faith and cause us to take our faith to the next level. Let me give you the third one. And this is really, really important for all of us. That Jesus' return challenges me to put the present into perspective. To put the present into perspective. I was out of town for part of this week doing some teaching and some seminars and stuff like that. And uh, I, so I, you know, did one of my least favorite things to do, which is stay in a hotel. And uh, so as I was there, you know, speaking to pastors and all that kind of stuff, um, here's the funny thing about hotels when you're there. You never invest in the hotel, right? Like you never, like if you look at the TV and you don't like it, you don't actually buy another TV, if you get there and you're like, man, this mattress is rough, but you know what? I saw a mattress giant down the street. I could go pick up a mattress. They might do same-day delivery, and I'll sleep great tonight. Well, you'd say, Bob, that's insane. But I'd say, you know, but here's the thing. Not only did I replace the mattress, I was also looking at the artwork. It's all wrong for this room. And what I did was I went to the mall, and I decided to get new artwork to put on the walls here. And you say, but why would you do that? You're only staying one night. You see, that, was, that, that would just be the total, that would be totally insane. You know why? Because if I did that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be putting the present into perspective. That I'm only here for a short amount of time. And listen, the same thing is true for us. You see, we're not going to be here that long. You see, the most that, that, that we're going to get, at the very most, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're going to get what? At most, like a hundred years? Maybe some of you are going to live real healthy. You're going to like drink vegetable shakes or something and you're going to make it to like 120 or something. And, and you know what's going to happen? Uh, but at some point, we're going to come to the end of our lives and Jesus is coming back for us at the end of our lives or during our lifetime. But whatever the case, we recognize no matter how long we live on planet Earth, would we all agree that eternity is a little longer than a, certain, than a century or more or less, whatever the case? And so if we're not going to be here that long, we've got to put into perspective how much we're going to invest on earth as opposed to what we're going to invest in eternity. The Bible tells us about a guy by the name of Abraham, the father of our faith. And it says this, that he actually dwelt in a tent when, as he was traveling in the promised land that God had given to him. It says that he traveled there like a stranger because he was waiting for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was waiting for eternity, waiting for a place that God was creating for him. You see, the thing that's, that's amazing is when we put the second coming of Jesus and, and eternity into perspective, it really causes us to put the present into perspective. You see, when we get to heaven, there's really only two things we're not going to be able to do. I mean, think about that. We're going to be able to do quite, quite a bit. But there's two things we're not going to be able to do. You're not going to be able to sin, and you're not going to be able to invest in eternity because you're already going to be there. How do we invest in eternity? We invest in eternity when we share our faith and, and, and with people who are far from God. Uh, when we invest in eternity through our service to others, uh, through our devotion to God, through our giving, through, through, through so many things. But there gets to this place, we get to heaven, and heaven is the place where we are rewarded for the things that are done on earth. You see, here's what the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, let me explain that for just a moment, because I think when people think like judgment seat, this is like, uh, you know, God sending people to heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. That's a different judgment for a different time. When a Christian takes their last breath on planet Earth and takes their first breath before the presence of God, here's what happens. This is a different judgment seat. A Christian stands before God, not wondering whether he's going to make it. Because if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ has forgiven you. He's become the bridge between you and God. That's what the Bible says, that he's the mediator between God and man. And because of that, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. And so we have the opportunity to spend eternity with God, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of who Christ is and what he's done. But what God does do is that our ability to experience eternity and to be blessed in eternity is based on some of the things that we've done. And that's why it says uh, that we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, You may want to circle that term judgment seat. Uh, The Greek term is the word bima, B-E-M-A. That that is a term that we could also translate it the reward seat of Christ. And that is, I mean, it's a term that's taken, that's borrowed from the Olympic, the ancient Olympic Games, uh, the ancient Greek Olympic Games, where someone would run and they would win. And then they would appear before the judgment seat, before the Bema seat. And it was there that they were given the gold, the silver, you know, the bronze. They, they were given this wreath uh, that they were to wear on their heads to show that they were uh, this, this champion in, in, in whatever it was that they were competing in. And this is where the stuff that we've done in our lives are laid out. And we find if what we've done has had eternal value or if we were just living in the present Paul explains it a little earlier in first in first Corinthians in chapter three. It's in your in your notes or you see it up on the screen. It says, but we must each be careful how we build because Christ is the only foundation. Whatever uh, whatever we build on that foundation will be tested by fire on the day of judgment. Uh, Then everyone will find out if we have used gold, silver or precious stones or wood, hay and straw. We will be rewarded if our building is left standing But if it's destroyed by fire, we will lose everything. Yet we ourselves will be saved like one escaping from flames. Now, once again, I want you to imagine the scene here. Once you're standing before God, once again, this is not like a heaven and hell thing. This is that every all of our deeds begin to pass through this fire. I want you to think about it kind of like what a jeweler does. A jeweler uh, takes certain, you know, he takes these precious stones, right? He takes gold, he takes silver. And what does he do? He refines it. And he puts it in this fire, and what does he do? When you take gold or any kind of precious stone, the fire takes away all of the impurities. It takes away all the stuff that you want to get rid of, and all that's left are the things that matter, the things that have real value. And so God then takes what we've done, what we've done for him, what we've done in our lives, and it begins to pass through this fire. And the things that are wood, hay, and stubble, the things that were just all for here, well, those things get burnt up. But the things that we've done that were for eternity, the things that we've done were for him, the things that we had done that were others minded. You know what takes place? What takes place is that remains and has value for eternity. You see, I mean, I want you to think about what that could could be like, because sometimes we do the right stuff, but we do it with the wrong motive and that stuff gets burned up. And sometimes we don't even know what we're doing and we don't we just we just do something just to be kind uh, or to be benevolent. And you know what happens? That gets rewarded. So maybe it's like this. You're standing before God. And then here comes that time that you volunteered to go to Habitat for Humanity, you know, with the church to build someone's house. And then you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a good one. I'm going to get a big reward for that. And then, boom, 
uh, goes up in flames. And you're like, well, what happened there? God, I helped the homeless person build their house. I mean, how much more selfless and sacrificial could that be? And God says to us, remember, you only signed up because there was this cute girl you wanted to get to know. I'm sorry. Did you get her number? Nah, she blew me off. Well, you didn't get that either. Sorry. And so that, that, that happens. But then there, here's what happens. Then something else comes through. There are these moments of kindness where, you know, you were just maybe just being yourself, but you just shared kindness with someone. You did something kind for someone and you don't even really think about it. And then you think about what? Wow, I don't even remember that happening. And then boom, reward. And then something else happens and boom, reward. And then the way we spent our time and the way we spent our money and the way, the, the way we used our words and all that stuff comes through. And then we start seeing things get burnt up and we start seeing things get rewarded. And then we come to the end and then we realize, man, how much did we have an opportunity to invest in eternity simply by putting the present into perspective? You see, all these things happen. And this is why it's so important, because our ability to experience eternity is based upon this, this, this opportunity. To take what, this opportunity that we have now and send it ahead for eternity so that we can find ourselves being rewarded in heaven, in eternity. This is what, um, how Jesus would say, this is towards the end of the same conversation about his return. In Matthew 25, he says this. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now think about that. We have this finite amount of time, and yet here's what God says. If we're faithful with that, if we're faithful with what we have and what we do and what we say and what we think and, and all that kind of stuff, if, we, if we're faithful with that now, we will have the opportunity in eternity to be able, if we're faithful with little, we'll be made ruler over much in eternity. And think about what that means. That it's exponential what we could see happen in our lives eternally based on what it is that we do now. So if you want to live in light of eternity, then here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to take a step in that direction. Take a step in a way that says, I'm going to put the present into perspective and instead live with this view that Jesus could come back. And if that's the case, am I ready for eternity? Am I ready to see how I, I would be rewarded or am I... Thinking and secretly praying, Jesus, don't come back today. If you come back in like six months, I could probably turn it around. Why don't you take out your connection card for just a second, which I know all of you filled out this morning. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. As you think about a next step, what if you did this? You'll see on the second column about halfway down, it says attend church more faithfully. I mean, what does that actually take to do? An alarm clock and a little bit of time management and a little bit of prioritizing to say, you know what? I want to grow in my faith. I want to put God first. And that's a, a simple way, a practical way that I can begin to do that. That's a real simple way to do that. Here's another way right above that. Uh, we started this uh, special offering that we're calling 1-8. And, and here's, if you weren't here last week, here's what 1-8 is all about. 1-8 is an offering that, that we're trying to... That, uh, we're trying to raise $25,000 for, and here's, and here's what it's for. Um, due to what's happening financially in the world and with the crisis that we're seeing, there's a lot of uh, missionaries, church planters, uh, a lot of organizations that are 
involved in uh, doing a lot of great things, helping people with HIV AIDS, helping people that are far from God with all kinds of things, helping people that are new Christians grow in their faith, going to areas where you and I would never want to even visit, much less live. And these people have devoted their lives there. And you know what they've found? They've found a lot of their support cut because people have lost jobs or whatever the case. And here's one of the things that we as pastors got together and said, here's what we need to do as a church. If other people are shrinking back, we've got to be able to step up and, and, and make sure that this work continues. Because here's what we really believe. We really believe that Jesus is coming back. And if he is coming back, we want everybody to know and hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond. We have an opportunity to do that abroad. We have an opportunity to work here in our city and reach out. Because I believe this is going to be an opportunity for us to reach people in an unprecedented form. The same thing is true for our high school ministry. The same thing is true for our children's ministry. There's some upgrades that need to happen there. And I believe that if all of us say, you know what, we're going to make an investment, not just for now, but for eternity, we can see that take place. And that this could be our church's finest hour. We have that opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity. If you say, you know what, I've been coming here for however long, and I've never started serving. I mean, I, I, I see what everybody else does, and I come here and I enjoy it, but... I want to actually now start giving back a little bit and start serving others as others have, have served me for a season. And listen, that's a wonderful thing to think about. It's a wonderful thing that God puts in someone's heart because all of us are called to it. All of us are called to serve each other. And as we do that, maybe as you say, you know, I want to start serving. I want to do something. I don't even know what I'm good at. I don't even know what I could do, but I want to do something. It could be as simple as that. In fact, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're far from God. Maybe you're like me, you've known stuff about God, but you've never really known Him. Listen, I, I know what that feels like. And if that's you, maybe today is the day that you begin a relationship with God. You begin a relationship with Jesus and you just simply open your heart and you say to Him, God, forgive me for all that I've done. I want you to come into my life. And if that's the case, listen, a simple prayer prayed in sincerity, God will answer and God will hear. And God will act on our behalf. Right now, if we call out to him. You see, Jesus is coming back and our lives are all the better when we live like it's happening. This is the last verse I'll share with you in Titus chapter 2. It says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Um, I was on this trip this week and I was heading home and so I called my wife to tell her that I was about two hours away. And as I called her, uh, my daughter heard that I was on the phone and, you know, she, every time I, I go out for a day or two that she's always running around the house looking for me. And so she heard that I was on the phone and so she wanted to get on the phone and so I talked to her and I'm like, hi, mama. And she's like, papi, papi. And so she's very excited to talk to me and, and so I said, I said, mama, papi's coming home. Papi's going to be home soon. And so I talked to Carrie for a little bit, and then we hung up. And uh, what Carrie was telling me later is that um, she kept saying, Bobby, home, Bobby, home, Bobby, home. And every few minutes, she'd look at the door to see if I was there yet. And so she'd go about doing something, and then she'd remember, Bobby, home. And she'd look at the door to see if I was there. And she'd, she'd start playing with her toys in front of the door because she wanted to be there right when I got home. And so a couple hours later, um, she hears the key, 
And I open the door, and she starts running towards me, and she says, Boppy, home. And man, it was one of the greatest moments of my life uh, when she ran up to me. And, and here was the thing that was so amazing. As she was there waiting for me to greet me with a hug and a kiss, she was waiting for her dad to show up. And friends, that's my prayer for us because I want to live like that. Living with an expectation of when my Savior, when our Savior is coming back to our home. Let's pray together. God, that is uh, our prayer and our hope that we would live with an expectation that you're coming, that you could come today at this very hour. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live the kind of life that you're calling us to live. So, God, help us to make those decisions, to live a godly life, to put our faith first, and then to put the presence, the present into perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.